With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have only two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our midweek Primavera match against Pescara. And in part two, I'll preview our match on Saturday against Udinese. So let's begin with the Primavera, who played their match day 21 makeup game against Pescara on Wednesday. As I mentioned last episode, Pescara came into this match dead last in the league, having collected only 11 points through 23 rounds. That's an average of less than half a point per match, so you might have guessed that they were not in form heading into this match. They were coming off a 2-1 win over Spal, but Spal are second from the bottom of the table, so I don't know how much weight you give to that result. Curiously, Napoli was one of only three teams Pescara have won against this season. They beat us 3-1 in Cercola on match day 4. Fortunately, their other win was against Empoli, which is one of our direct rivals in the battle for survival. Speaking of Empoli, we were coming off of a devastating 2-2 draw to Empoli, a match we were leading 2-0 before conceding twice in the final 10 minutes, including an equalizer that was scored in the 94th minute. Nevertheless, with Cagliari beating Genoa 2-0 earlier in the day, a win in this match would see us move from 14th in the table to 11th. We would move past Empoli, Genoa, and Bologna to be only one point back of Milan, and 5 points clear of the relegation playout zone. Now, Nicolo Frustalupi would have to play this match without his number 1 goalkeeper. Huberti Dasic remained with the senior team after the win over Hellas Verona. He's the third keeper with the senior team at the moment with Alex Meret injured. That meant 17-year-old Valerio Boffelli would have to start in goal. Meanwhile, Frustalupi was also without Enrico Giannini, 
who was still recovering from his injury. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Pescara lined up in a 4-3-3 formation with Simone Servalli in goal. Filippo Scipione and Simone Madonna started at center back. Gianluca Longobardi started at left back and Nicolo Postiglione started at right back. Dino Mehic played as the regista behind Amr Mehic and Armand Kuki. Marco Della Monica played on the left wing, Marco Chiarella played on the right wing, and Vladislav Blanuta started at striker. For Napoli, Frustalupi made two changes to the squad that he fielded against Empoli, one at the top and the other at the bottom of the formation. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 with Bofelli starting in place of Idasiak in goal. Davide Costanzo, Daniel Hisai, and Benedetto Barba played again as the back three. Coli Sacco and Francesco Gioielli started again in the center of the midfield. I'm not sure why Gioielli has started over Alessandro Spavone in the last few matches, but he has. Spavone did feature off the bench, and I thought he played well, so I suspect Spavone will return to the starting 11 for the match against Sassuolo at the weekend. Francesco De Marco started at left wing back, and Matteo Marchisano started at right wing back. Giuseppe D'Agostino and Antonio Vergara played as the two trequartisti, and finally Antonio Cioffi played over Giuseppe Ambrosino at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Unfortunately, the first half was not very entertaining, it also wasn't very enjoyable. That's because neither side created many opportunities to score, and Pescara scored on one of the few opportunities they did create. That goal came in the 18th minute. Napoli were actually attacking, but D'Agostino was dispossessed at the edge of the Pescara area. The Delfini immediately countered through Della Monica, who had a really strong performance. He played the ball to Chiarella, making the late run towards the right side of the area. Chiarella put a decent shot on target. Bofelli made a good save, but he did not do a great job of controlling the rebound. The ball spilled right back into the danger area, where Madonna was waiting to put the ball in the back of the goal. Now, I wasn't terribly impressed with our defending in transition here. We had four players back to defend Pescara's four players in the attack. I thought Costanzo should have stepped up sooner on Carella, knowing that Barba and Hisai were back there to defend Madonna and Blanuta. By waiting too long, Carella was able to dribble into the area and get the initial shot off. I don't blame Bofelli too much for the rebound because Carella's initial effort was low and hard, so in that situation you're really just hoping that the keeper makes the save, you're not terribly concerned about where the rebound goes. Hisai probably could have been tighter on Madonna as well, if he was, he likely would have been better positioned to deal with that rebound. So that was basically the difference in the half. Pescara had one clear cut opportunity to score and they took it, whereas Napoli struggled to create anything in the attack. Our boys were noticeably tired in this match, and understandably so. It was our fifth match in 15 days, and it was the fifth of six matches over a 17-day period. You could see that we were just a step slower than Pescara, and I think that was a direct result of the schedule. These are mostly 18-year-olds, so they're not as equipped to play this regularly as the senior team. Mind you, for Pescara, it was their fourth match in 12 days, so they weren't exactly well-rested either. I should also give Pescara credit for defending, I thought they did a great job of getting bodies in front of our shots and crosses. So Pescara went into the break with I thought was a deserved one goal lead. Frustalupi made one change at the break which was to replace DeMarco with Ambrosino. That's something we've seen Frustalupi do before when we're down at the break and we need to bolster the attack. Frustalupi also shifted a couple of players around to facilitate the change to a 3-4-3 formation. He moved Marquisano over to left wing back and dropped Vergara to play at right wing back. 
Trophy played on the left wing, D'Agostino played on the right wing, and Ambrosino played at striker, which are all natural positions for those players. Those changes seemed to work only 10 minutes after the restart, the Azzurini scored the equalizer, and what a goal it was. The play started with Costanzo playing a long ball to Sacco at midfield. He controlled the pass with his chest, then volleyed the ball over the top to Trophy. Trophy got behind the Pescara back line, but his first touch was a bit heavy and pulled him out wide. He still managed to get a shot off, and much like Bofelli on the Pescara goal, Cervalli made the save but did not control the rebound. Ambrosino picked up the rebound at the top of the box, and he very calmly chipped it over both Postiglione and Scipiglione. Cervalli could do nothing but watch the ball sail into the top corner. That was Ambrosino's 12th goal of the season and his 6th as a substitute. That goal seemed to give us a bit of life. About a minute after the goal, Hisai played a long ball over the top to Vergara. He took the ball down really well before going down in the area, but the official did not give the penalty. There was some contact, but I think the official was right to not give the penalty there. I have to say, the official did a great job in this match. We had players go down in the area on three or four separate occasions, and he did not give a single penalty, but he was always well positioned, and I think he was correct on each occasion. Now, Pescara responded well after the equalizer, and they seemed the more likely side to score the go-ahead goal. In the 65th minute, Blanuta won a free kick just outside the left edge of the area. Delamonica went directly for a goal, but Ambrosino, of all people, was there to head the ball clear at the near post. Then in the 71st minute, Carella dribbled straight past Costanzo before firing a shot on target, but Bofelli made a fine save. Pescara continued to push, and five minutes later, they did in fact go back ahead. The play started with a Pescara throw-in on the left side of the pitch. The Lemonica tried to switch the play to the right wing, but Hisai intercepted the pass. However, Hisai's header was rather poor. He directed the ball right back into the center of the field, where Amir Mehic was first to get to the ball. He touched it towards Blanuta. He took one touch on his chest and then hit an audacious lob on the volley. The ball dipped over Bofelli and finished in the back of the goal. That made the score 2-1, and I have to say, the way the match was going... And with how few chances we were creating, I thought the match would end that way. But just five minutes after Pescara went back ahead, Ambrosino equalized for the second time in the match. Napoli were very patient in the build-up and we got a bit of luck. We completed 14 passes before D'Agostino played a low cross into the area from the right wing. Just before Scipione went to clear the ball, Dino Mehic got a touch so Scipione could only put his body in front of the ball to block the pass. The ball fell to Ambrosino, who's the last person Pescara could have hoped for the ball to fall to. He immediately smacked it into the bottom corner at the far post to make the score 2-2. The Azzurini tried to push forward for the late winner, but they just did not have any gas left in the tank, so the match finished 2-2. It was the second consecutive 2-2 draw for the Azzurini, and both were disappointing results. I mentioned the late equalizer we conceded to Empoli, and then we dropped points to a team at the bottom of the table for the second time this season. But by the end of the match, I had mixed feelings about this result. On the one hand, I felt like we missed a great opportunity to move 5 points clear of the relegation playout zone. On the other hand, considering how the game went, considering that we fell behind twice in the match, a draw was actually a pretty good result. With the draw, we pulled level with Bologna and Genoa on 30 points. We're one point clear of Empoli and three points clear of the two teams in the relegation playout. Both Hellas Verona and Lecce are on 27 points, though Hellas Verona have a game in hand. They are the two teams currently in the relegation playout zone, and Spal and Pescara are basically already relegated. The Primavera will be back in action on Sunday 
to take on Sassuolo. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll return to the senior team and preview our match against Udinese on Saturday. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a preview of our match against Udinese on Saturday. Udinese came into this match sitting 14th in the table, which is low, but they haven't been in bad form. They've lost only one of their previous seven matches before this one, which was a 4-0 loss to Hellas Verona. During that stretch, Udinese drew Lazio, Milan, and Roma, so they're clearly capable of taking points away from the top clubs and from Roma. In fact, Udinese were really unfortunate to not win that match against Roma. In the first half, Jean-Victor Makengo took a shot that Rui Patricio pushed off the bar, then the ball bounced off Patricio's back and then hit the upright and stayed out. Then, of course, Roma were awarded a very dubious penalty in the 94th minute, which Lorenzo Pellegrini converted to level the score. So Udinese probably should have won that match. Now, this is an intriguing matchup as far as form goes. Napoli have not been great at the Maradona, were 8-2-4 at home this season, which is only the 7th best home record in Serie A, which is pretty low for a team that's competing for the Scudetto. Napoli have not been great at the Maradona, were 8-2-4 at home this season, which is the 7th best home record in Serie A. That may not seem so bad, but it sounds a lot worse when you consider that we've dropped points in nearly half the matches we've played at home, and yet, the Maradona will be sold out again. It won't be full because capacity is still restricted to 75%, but all the tickets that were available have been sold. Fortunately, Udinese have one of the worst away records in the league. Only Torino and Salernitana have collected fewer points away from home than Udinese have. Now, there's been a fair bit of change at Udinese since the last time we played them. The most significant change was the sacking of Luca Gotti, he was replaced by Gabriele Trofi on an interim basis. Trofi has been able to maintain the same results. Udinese averaged about 1.2 points per match this season under Gotti. They're averaging about a point per match under Trofi, which isn't so bad for someone joining a club mid-season. Makengo spoke about Trofi in an interview with Corriere dello Sport on Wednesday. He said Trofi has focused mostly on the mental aspect of the game. In not so many words, Makengo explained that Trofi has spent a lot of time trying to instill a winning mentality at the club. He added that the goal against Napoli is to score some points, so Udinese are certainly not going to lay down for us in this match. History is certainly on our side though, we are unbeaten in our last 11 matches against Udinese, and 10 of those 11 results were wins. Our home record against Udinese is even better. The last time we dropped points to Udinese at home was a 3-3 draw on December 7th, 2013. So we haven't lost to Udinese at home in over 8 years. Of course, now that I've mentioned those stats, we'll probably draw points in this one, so I apologize in advance to everyone for that. Now both teams are coming into this match with relatively few injuries. Udinese will likely be missing center back Nahuan Perez due to an ankle injury. Meanwhile, Napoli will be missing 4 players, Alex Meret is out with a back injury, 
Kevin Malqui continues to recover from a calf injury. Andrea Petania is expected to miss about a month with a thigh injury. And Spalletti confirmed in his pre-match conference that Adam Unas will not be in the squad either. Axel Twanzebe should be back in the squad. As far as I can tell, he's been completing the full group training all week. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Udinese will line up in a 3-5-2 formation with Marco Silvestri in goal. With Perez injured, either Marvin Ziegler or Bram Neutink will start in the back three. Even though Trophy has tried Ziegler in the back three, he's naturally a fullback, whereas Neutink is naturally a center back, so I'll go with Neutink to get the start. Pablo Mari and Rodrigo Becao should complete the back three. Destiny Udoji, who we talked about in our Hellas Verona preview, will likely start at left wing back, while Nahuel Molina should start at right wing back. The center of the midfield is the most difficult to predict for Udinese. Trophy likes to rotate between five players to fill three positions. Those players are Roberto Pereira, Mato Yayalo, Tolge Arslan, Wallace, and Makengo. Both Pereira and Makengo are on suspension, so I think only one of them will start. I'll go with Pereira in the center with Wallace to his left and Arslan to his right. Finally, Beto and Gerard Delofeu will start as the dual strikers. For Napoli, I'm expecting Luciano Spalletti to make only one change to the squad that he fielded against Hellas Verona. I was a little bit torn between whether he would stick to the 4-3-3 because it worked so well against Verona, or go back to the 4-2-3-1 because Insigne and Zielinski will be fresh. I'm going to go with the former. I think he'll stick to the 4-3-3 with David Ospina in goal. I think barring suspensions, which I'll come back to in a moment, the back four is pretty much set in stone for the balance of the season. Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani will start at center back. Mario Rui will start at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. Stanislav Lobotka will play in the Regista behind Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa and Fabian Ruiz. Though there have been reports that Zielinski would start over Fabian and if that happens, then more than likely we're playing a 4-2-3-1. And Spalletti did allude to that in his pre-match conference, though he said it would also shift during the match to a 4-3-3. The one change I think we will see is Lorenzo Insigne starting over Chucky Lozano on the left wing. There were reports earlier in the week that the reason Insigne didn't start against Hellas Verona was because he was dealing with a minor injury and because there was a death in the family on his wife's side, so he didn't train well last week. But Spalletti said in his pre-match conference that Insigne trained really well this week, so I'm expecting him to go back into the starting 11. I think Matteo Politano will start on the right wing, but I do expect him to be replaced by Lozano about midway through the second half. Likewise, I think Insigne will be replaced at some point by Elif Elmas. Finally, Victor Osimen will play at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to stay out of the officials book. I've seen this in a few different places, but I'll give the credit to friend of the pod, Daniel Bowen, who pointed out that Napoli have five players who are at risk of suspension. Those five players are Koulibaly, Rachmani, Diego Deme, Angisa, and Osimen. We probably don't have to worry too much about Deme as he would likely only be an option off the bench. I'm definitely concerned about Koulibaly and Rachmani. Both Juan Jesus and Axel Twanzebe have only just recently returned from injury, so there could be a significant drop in quality if we lose one of Koulibaly or Rachmani. We definitely cannot afford to lose both of them. That would become a huge problem for us. That's really the key. We can probably afford to lose one or two players so long as they don't play the same position. If we lose Koulibaly or Rachmani, we should be able to get by with Juan Jesus, 
Likewise, we don't want to lose Anguissa or Diego Deme at the same time. If we lose Anguissa, then we can either play Diego Deme or Ali Felmes in his place, or we could revert back to the 4-2-3-1, which I think is more likely, but we would have problems if we lost both of them. The biggest loss would be Victor Osimhen because he is simply irreplaceable. If Victor gets suspended, then Spalletti would have no choice but to play Dries Mertens because Petania is hurt. Now what's most concerning about all of this is we are coming up on a very difficult stretch of matches. After Udinese, we play Atalanta away, Fiorentina at home, Roma at home, Empoli away, and Sassuolo at home. Fortunately, Udinese also have a number of players at risk of suspension, including Becao, Pereira, Makengo, and Molina. So even if we play cautiously, I suspect Udinese will be cautious as well, and hopefully they cancel each other out. My second key to the match is pretty obvious and probably one we could use for the remaining matches this season, and that is that we need to feed Victor. I mentioned this in my review of the Hellas Verona match, but Victor has scored 4 goals since returning from his face injury, and 3 of them have been with his head. The man has become an absolute beast in the air, he's hungry for goals, the injury has not phased him at all. After that injury, I think I'm more scared for Victor than he is for himself. The man is absolutely fearless. The other reason why he's been scoring more in the air is because of the quality of the service. Politano played a gorgeous ball in the Venezia match, Mario Rui played a gorgeous ball in the Cagliari match, and then Politano again played a gorgeous ball in the Hellas Verona match with his weaker right foot no less. For me, that's why Politano will be our definitive starting right winger for the balance of the season, because he is much more capable of delivering a quality ball into the area than Lozano is. And as good as these crosses have been, they don't need to be inch perfect. Victor has shown that if you put the ball in his vicinity, he will go up and get it. Friend of the pod, Carlo Garganeza, mentioned this on the Italian Football Podcast, but Victor has a Cristiano Ronaldo-like leap on him. So he's great at winning the ball in the air, but he's also developed a very accurate header. He's heading the ball with both power and accuracy, which is obviously important for scoring goals. Now, we don't need to feed Victor exclusively in the air, we can also play the long ball over the top. I look at that Udinese back line, particularly that back three, and I think Victor can create a lot of problems with his pace. I don't know much about Pablo Mari, he's the youngest of the three at 28 years old, but he hasn't played a whole lot in the past few seasons. He came through the lower divisions of Spanish football and spent a season in the Eredivisie before becoming a reserve player at Arsenal. He joined Udinese on loan in January and it took him about a month to get acclimatized and learn the new system, but he hasn't missed a single minute in their last six matches. So I wonder if he will be tasked with marking Osimhen because Rodrigo Bacau, Bram Neutink, and Marvin Ziegler are all 31 years old, so they simply do not have the pace to keep up with Victor. Now Udinese do have wing backs who could drop to defend in a five-man back line, but Udinese play a more progressive style now than they used to. Even before Gotti got sacked, they were attacking more, so there should be space for Victor in transition. My third key to the match is we need to shut down Gerard Delafeu. He's been Udinese's best player this season, at least in my opinion. He's currently on 8 goals and 2 assists, which is already his second best scoring season as a professional. He scored 10 goals and added 5 assists for Watford in the 2018-19 campaign, so he could well surpass those totals. He can definitely pass the goal scoring total with Udinese still having 11 games left to play. 
That's because Udinese have two makeup games to play, one against Salernitana and the other against Fiorentina. Even though Delefeo has only two assists, he is a very important part of the Udinese attack. I haven't watched every Udinese match this season, but from the ones that I have watched, it seems like whenever Udinese score, he is somehow involved in the play. The advanced metrics seem to confirm that as well. Amongst forwards, Delefeu is in the 97th percentile in progressive carries, 96th percentile in shot creating actions, 94th percentile in progressive passes, and 91st percentile in dribbles completed. Even if you compare him to attacking midfielders, Delefeu ranks highly in a number of those categories, so he's like an attacking midfielder playing in a front two. Naturally, the players around him will benefit from that play. Beto was the main benefactor earlier in the season. He had scored 8 goals in 13 appearances, but he's cooled off since. He hasn't scored in Udinese's last 9 matches in all competitions. Lately, the benefactor has been Destiny Udoji, even though he has been somewhat fortunate. Against Milan, the ball appeared to come off his hand before going in, but the goal stood. And then against Sampdoria, Delofeu's shot was blocked and the ball fell kindly to Odoji, though he did still have a bit of work to do on the finish. Delofeu is also in the 99th percentile in interceptions amongst forwards, so he's also good at pressing the opponent's back line, so Delofeu is definitely a player to look out for. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Napoli win. I'll give the goals to Victor Osimhen and Matteo Politano. If Victor scores, he would become the first Nigerian to score double-digit goals in more than one Serie A campaign, so that would be a nice little achievement. I'm glad to see that the Maradona will be sold out again. This was something Michele, also known as Get Napoli Tickets, said both on Twitter and on his new podcast. By the way, I highly recommend the show. It's called In the Shadow of Vesuvio, which is part of the Far From Vesuvius network. Henry Bell from FFV is the host, and Michele gives you the local perspective from the stadium and from the city. Michele has been helping people get tickets to matches for a long time, so I respect anything he has to say about attendance, and he goes to a lot of matches himself, so I also respect what he has to say in terms of the club, its performance, etc. And what he said was that he was surprised to see that the tickets were sold out after what happened against Milan. I think this is a great show of support from the fans, and I think it really will give the players a boost in confidence. What I would like to see though is for the players to use that energy throughout the match and not just in the opening 10 to 15 minutes like we saw against Milan. Udinese are definitely capable of withstanding the early storm, so I want to see us keep pushing beyond that point. That said, as important as the loss to Milan was, we should also recognize that Milan are a very good team and they're very well coached. There's a reason why they're top of the table after 29 rounds. And while we haven't been great at home this season, as I mentioned earlier, Udinese is certainly no Milan. For me, this is a game that we should win, and it could be a win that moves us to the top of the table. Milan are away at Cagliari this round. We all know how difficult it can be to win there, even if Cagliari don't hate Milan like they hate us. Meanwhile, Inter hosts Fiorentina, who's always a difficult opponent. So we might just gain some ground this round, and if they both happen to lose and we win we would actually move back to the top of the table. Juve pretty much have a guaranteed win against Lernitana, so even though it doesn't really matter if we finish 3rd or 4th, we don't want to let them get closer to us in the table. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode, if you liked what you heard, 
please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joel underscore Fisket D5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is Taral and Wine, L'Importante Castai Bono. Taral and Wine is a collaboration between two artists who have already featured on the pod before, Dario Sansone of Foya and Claudio Domestico, also known as Nut. They happen to be two of my favorite Napolitan artists. They collaborated to produce a 10-track album that goes by the same name as this song. I really love the official video for this song. If you're ever feeling a little bit down and need a positive pick-me-up, this video is great for that. It's very simple. The title of the song means the important thing is to be good, and in the video you see people in various different places holding up a handwritten sign that says Stobon, or I'm good. So be sure to check that out. I will be back next week to review the Udinese match, as well as our latest Femminile and Primavera matches. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Sports Social Podcast Network Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.